0: Hey, lots to do this morning. We're starting a new book, which I'm excited about. And I know Katie is because this is, her I think, her favorite New Testament book. And uh, so I'm excited and blessed to be able to get us rolling in that we have communion as well. Um, But before even all that, uh, we've had some special guests with us this week. They're actually leaving tomorrow evening. Chris and Imelda Annunziato have been in town. Chris has been a PFM guy for quite a while. He's part of the tribe, the family of, of all of us in ministry. And just here recently, Amelda got grafted in as... They got married and were excited for all God is doing in their lives. Chris has been filling the position of overseer for our ministry in Uganda. And and he's been doing a phenomenal job. And I know together as a couple, they're going to just be used mightily of the Lord. But uh, I want to bring them up this morning uh, for two reasons. One is that Chris might have something he'd like to say to you briefly. It's always dangerous to give somebody else, (laughs) especially missionaries, time. Uh, But uh, I want to give them a moment to say hi to you, and then we can pray over them. Um, because they head back to Southern California tomorrow, and then on the ninth, uh, fly back home to Uganda to continue on in ministry. So this is Chris and Imelda. you can applaud. <laughs> Great warriors and servants of the Lord for sure. so. You have something you'd like to say? You um, need my yeah. Bible? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's always good to, to come back. Um, I feel like I come back for a couple of days then go, but it's always refreshing to come back. Um, obviously, the family here and see old faces, old friends, new friends. So we just thank you guys for your hospitality. Thank you for the leadership here. Everybody who's known me, um, known my story now. We'll get to know um, No, We look forward to the future and uh, what God has for us. So thank you guys so much. Amen. 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 Yeah. You have anything? Really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I won't make you say anything then. Let's pray for them. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you uh, for who you are. And when I think of The Chris I met the first day he arrived here in Montana. To the Chris that stands here now, it's a testimony of who you are, Lord. And I thank you for this man. I thank you what you've done in, what you're doing in, and what you're doing through his life. And to uh, think that now you've added to him Amelda, And the word says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And truly, Lord, we expect that she is only going to enhance his life in you and his ministry in you. And together you will use them to your glory and praise. So we pray that you continue to pour out your spirit upon them, that as Jehovah Jireh, you would always meet their needs and provide for them. Lord, that you'd lead them, guide them, and protect them as they go forth as your servants, as your vessels, to be used by you. And Lord, empower them and the gifts you place in each of them to be used to further your kingdom work. Give them safe travels back to SoCal tomorrow and then home to Uganda a few days later. And prepare their hearts and minds and those that will receive them for all you Desire to do. We thank you again for them. We lift them up to you and place them in your hands. And in Jesus' name, we all say, Amen. 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 Bless you, buddy. Thank you so much. Be sure if you haven't talked with them or met them. To do so this morning after the service. I know. You'll be blessed. So with that, open up your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter one. First Thessalonians, we're gonna start a series in the Thessalonians first and second. So that'll give you a heads up of where we're going to be for the next few weeks. And um, one thing I forgot to mention that came to my mind as well, part of our body, our team, is also in Houston right now at Calvary Houston ministering through the Mudman um, truck. So, be sure to be lifting them up in prayer, and after that, they're actually going to head to Florida too. So, lots of travel. The last time we sent a vehicle toward Florida, we had some exciting times. So, be praying, be praying for them as they travel. First Thessalonians chapter one. Why don't we pray? And then we'll dive in with an introduction. Father, we ask now as we have worshipped you in song and worshipped you in prayer, that now as we worship you in the study of your word, that you would illumine our hearts and minds to receive all you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. First Thessalonians, obviously, this is a letter that was written by Paul. It is the first letter that we have in our Bible chronologically that was written by Paul. It was actually written probably in the midst of his second missionary journey. If you consider and harmonize this with the book of Acts, we would go back into the book of Acts towards the end of chapter 15. If you remember, at that point, Paul and Barnabas had returned from their first missionary journey and brought back report to the church in Antioch of the great work that God had been doing and had done. And as they drew to a close and prepared to head back out again, there was that division that happened between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, such that Barnabas took John Mark and headed out to the mission field together and Paul grabs Silas. The opening verse of 1 of, uh, Thessalonians says, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. That Sylvanus is actually Silas, who we read about in Acts 15, who then became the traveling companion and co-laborer with Paul in the mission field. They headed out from from Antioch, and they wound up in Lystra. That's where Paul called Timothy to himself as a co-laborer. And from that point forward, uh, on the second missionary journey, it was Paul Silas, and Timothy. So I'm mindful of the fact that in the midst of this missionary journey, the second missionary journey, even here in 1 Thessalonians, we see these three guys ministering with and to one another. As you would continue on from Acts 16 through the ministry, Paul receives. The Macedonian Call, and he heads over to Philippi where he ministers, and of course he's imprisoned with Silas in in Philippi. And if you haven't ever read that story, you need to go back and acquaint yourself with the story of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. And from Philippi the three traveling companions and any disciples who might have been with them made their way over to Thessalonica. It was there that the church in Thessalonica was established. There's some debate over how long Paul was actually in the city. We know for sure He was there for at least approximately a month because it says he taught for three consecutive Sabbaths in the synagogue. Some believe he was there a little bit longer and ministered once the Jews would no longer receive him in the synagogue. He stayed on and taught the Gentiles. But eventually, there in Thessalonica, they ran Paul out of town. They came, the Jews, it literally says, because they were envious. What a sad testimony that God is moving so mightily through these three men. Yet, rather than stop and listen, these Jews who would not believe, became envious and came after Paul. They went to a man, Jason's house, couldn't find the three guys there, actually drugged Jason out and brought him before the magistrate in the city, saying, this man is harboring these men, catch this, who are turning the world upside down. What a great testimony to have, right? Now, of course, we would say they turned the world right side up. But the world looks at us as they're turning it upside down. They grabbed Paul after Jason was released, and they took money from him as security, that he would be sure Paul left. And they sent Paul off to Berea. Eventually, Timothy and Silas met him in Berea. They ministered briefly in Berea. And then Paul left Berea because the same Jews from Thessalonica who were causing him a problem chased him down in Berea. So they... Secretly got him out of Berea. That's when Paul wound up in Athens. First, alone, he has that incredible scene with the Epicurean Stoic philosophers on Mars Hill. And then he makes his way from Athens to Corinth. Paul, uh, Paul and being joined now by Silas and Timothy as they're in Corinth. You say, why are you walking me all the way through that, Steve? Because it's actually from Corinth in 51 AD that Paul penned the letter that we're studying here this morning. It, as I said, is his earliest letter that we have recorded in our Bible in the very midst of his missionary journeys. Other epistles we have were also written during his journeys, many of them when he was imprisoned in Rome. But again, this letter is that first one that we have. When Katie told me it was her her favorite book, I thought, well, that's interesting. It's not like the top on my list, though every book of the Bible is special. Every word of the Bible is special, but most of you know I gravitate toward Philippians. But I got to tell you, as I read through this book and studied it and then prepared for this morning, I don't know, chapter one is one of the most incredible chapters I've ever had the opportunity to dig into at a deeper level and ministered to me so greatly. Um, And I pray that this morning, somehow I can communicate some of that to you in the brief time, and briefer still now that we have. One time I um, had gathered together with a group of pastors that I was serving with. And we went away for a pastoral staff uh, retreat. It was just the pastors. we went to a city in Utah called Tokerville. I uh, that probably <laughs> not that. Yeah, I can tell where you guys come from. <laughs> not that kind of Toker. It's T O Q. You wouldn't probably know that city. It's north of Saint George. You go St. George, Hurricane, not Hurricane, Hurricane, and then Tokerville. Hurricane and Tokerville are actually gateway cities to Zion National Park. But we went to Tokerville for this retreat, and we knew somebody that owned a house there, and we gathered there. And uh, the second day we were away, we spent the day praying, studying, planning, preparing, strategizing, all the those things you do on that kind of retreat. And uh, then it was mid afternoon, and the group of us, apart from the senior pastor, decided we'd go for a walk. We went off the back side of the property, went down a hill into the valley, and just started walking. Walking, talking, joking laughing, looking at the sights around us, the houses, the farming land, the cattle, the horses, wondering if somebody would walk out at some point and shoot us because we were on their land. And we'd been gone for about an hour and a half, and then we had a realization None of us paid attention to how we got to where we were. And we had no clue how to get back. (laughs) We had a general direction that we were walking. And so we said, you know what? We've been walking east. That means the Main road has to be to our left. Let's just make a left turn and start walking. Eventually, we'll run into the road. And when we get to the road, we'll know how to get back. Some guy caught us about halfway to the road and said, Are you guys lost? And at that point, we were able to rise up above our pride. You know, the pride that all men have. Who will never admit their loss. (laughs) He said, yep. He said, get in the back of the truck. I'll get you home. And we made it home. Chapter 1. No, let me pause there and say what we should have done was set-up markers along the way that would always be there to direct us to where we needed to go. Had we set up those markers, we would have never drifted and never been lost. Chapter 1 is one of those chapters that for us as Christians establishes markers that if we place these in our lives we won't stray too far far and we will always be able to find our find our way back to where we need to be so i'm going to work my way through the first 10 verses here with you and point out some of those As we go, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is actually the only letter. Two things and we'll move on. But one of those markers we can grab hold of. This is the only letter that Paul opens and doesn't in some way address his apostleship and his calling by God as an apostle. It's an extremely personal letter from Paul. It's a letter he's writing to this new church, wondering, he'd been wondering how they were doing, and Timothy brought a report to him of how they were doing. And as a loving father, he's now writing this letter, one, to encourage them, two, to make some course corrections for them, and three, to make sure they're keeping their eye, as it were, on the prize. So he doesn't open it up as Paul, an apostle, called by God, but rather just Paul. And I also love the fact that he doesn't say Paul and my roadies, Silas and Timothy. But in this greeting, Silas or Salvanus and Timothy have equal footing. With Paul. The three of us. Write to you. Co-equal. In your eyes. I'm not Paul the agent. I'm not Paul the apostle. I'm not Paul the leader. With his band of merry men. I'm co-equal. As it were. Will Salvanus and Timothy. The humility of this man, Paul, who when we look back, God used greatly. I believe one of the markers as Christians we can hold on to is the reason we look back and see the impact that Paul had was because of the humility of Paul and the understanding of grace that Paul had. And the understanding of the love and forgiveness of God that he had experienced in his life, such that he always was penning words like, don't esteem yourself more highly than others. Esteem others more highly than yourself. And those weren't mere words to Paul. That was Paul's life. That was probably one of the testimonies of Paul's life if if we saw his gravestone like the gravestones of today. And everybody had the opportunity to write something on that gravestone for sure one of the things written would be that Paul esteemed others more highly than himself. We haven't even got past the first verse yet, and we could ponder just the depth of that one aspect of Paul's life. Oh, that we would be a people that is humble regardless of age. And for those of us that are older, God didn't give us experience and wisdom to lord over, but rather to come along and support and lead and guide and train and equip others. You know, there's in life I've come to learn there's two kinds of old people. There's old people that say, I've lived my life. I've done things i provided for you. Now you have to do for me. And there's old people who say, man, I've been so blessed. What can I do to help you? Whether that be through experience and wisdom, Or any other kind of practical help. Oh, I long to be like Paul. Who out of the depth of his understanding of who God is. And out of his love for his Savior. Will be that person that says, what's mine is yours and you can have it rather than what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. So Paul, addressing this church, or the called-out ones, those that are in Thessalonica that have been called out by God as a gathering of people established in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that he just doesn't say Jesus, but he says the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in that, Jesus is his earthly name. But Christ is not his middle name, nor his last. It literally should read the Lord Jesus, the Christ Christ the Messiah, the promised one, the one who we've been waiting for. And he is Lord, master over our life. By the way, this morning, the only way we can call ourselves part of the ecclesia, part of the called out ones, part of the church, part of the body of Christ, is to identify with the Lord Jesus the Christ. And so this letter is being written to those in Thessalonica who have responded to the call of God. And then he says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Anybody who's been around church for a while knows grace and peace is Paul's typical opening to the majority of his letters. And one thing the Lord showed me is how contrary that is to many of our own experiences in the church. You know, grace, that unmerited favor of God, being poured out upon us, we've heard it said, there is no grace without experiencing, there is no peace without experiencing the grace of God. But part of experiencing the grace of God is embracing the grace of God. It's so hard for us, isn't it, to just accept grace, For grace. We come from a performance oriented, what are you doing for me lately kind of environment such that we grow up in this environment of proving ourselves and doing things to show our value and our worth. And if that's our experience with God, we're coming up short. In our understanding of grace. Because grace came when we were worthless. Grace came when we were yet his enemy. Grace was poured out to us through Jesus on the cross. His body broken, his blood shed for our forgiveness And the grace of God flows from that. We weren't worth anything. And in the end, we can't do anything to merit that which is unmerited. Catch that. We cannot in our life try to merit that which God has given to us As unmerited. At that point, you're not embracing his unmerited favor. You're trying to earn it. And there is nothing we can do to earn that. And when we embrace grace at that level, we then experience peace with God In that through Christ, we are now at peace. We experience peace in God. And we experience the peace of God, both internally and externally with our brothers and sisters. The only way Mike and I find true peace with one another is through grace and grace alone. We give thanks to God always for you all. That just shows, shows that Paul is from the south, right? Because he says, y'all. <laughs> we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now, let's stop there and understand. Verses 2 through 10 in the original text one run-on sentence. No periods. That's the hallmark of Paul. He is the king of the run-on sentence. So, in the original text, this is all one long sentence. So, I don't think we should stop there. I think we should read it all and then go back and gain insight. So, Picking up again in verse 4, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word, in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God, Has gone out so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Who delivers us from the wrath to come, and we take a breath. Ah. Paul says, and this was a homework of Paul, though I don't know that he had hour long prayers for every person, every church, every city. I do believe Paul had a long stroll. And every time he prayed, he's saying, I'm always praying for you in Thessalonica. And here is the prayer, having received the report back from Timothy. As I pray for you, I'm remembering without ceasing. In other words, what impacted me the greatest in my time with you is how when you received the gospel that resulted in you a work of faith, a labor of love, and a patience of hope founded and established. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Our next couple of um, markers to make sure we stay on the path are given us right there faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, or faith, love, and hope grace the word grace Paul uses that word at least twice as much in all his writings than any other thought that he establishes in his writing but this triad of words faith love and hope love faith and hope He uses multiple times in multiple writings. So this, to Paul, were benchmarks of what it means to be a Christian. Faith, love, and hope. If you doubt me, let's take a quick tour. He uses them here, obviously, in Thessalonians, but in Romans... Chapter 5, you don't need to turn there unless you want to. It'll take me a minute to turn there. My fingers don't work like they used to. Actually, I should have, like, prepped people before the service and they could be reading it. Chapter 5, verse 1 of the book of Romans Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because of the love of God has been poured out. Faith, hope, love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We would read as I get there. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Will all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We could turn to Galatians 5. In verse 1, we would find faith, hope, and love there. We could turn to Colossians 1, verses 4 through 6, and see faith, hope, and love. And we could turn to the most famous of love chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, and now abide these three, faith, Hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. If you're wondering why the greatest of these is love, come see me after the service. I'd be glad to explain it, but we don't have time at this point. But he says, Remembering without ceasing, back in First Thessalonians, your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Let me pick those apart real quickly. Work of faith. The word for work there is a word that we draw vocation from. Your vocation of love. We could term that your manner of life and living. In other words, as you responded to the gospel, the main outwork in your life, the main testimony of your life, the vocation, the, the manner of life you live is love. In responding to the gospel, listen, you want to stay on track with God? Make your vocation in life, your manner of life, in living displaying the love of God to others. Make that your vocation. Make it the testimony of your life. Then he says, actually I'm sorry sorry, not love, faith. I messed that up, didn't I? Your work of faith, that it would be that me now working of your life to display faith And in displaying faith, labor in love, that word for labor, toil. I got to tell you, in my years of ministry, I've met some people that are hard to love. (laughs) And it's at that point you come back and you realize Love is labor. Because it's choice. The kind of love that God has for us. It's a choice. We choose to love. If you come to me and say, Steve, I don't know what I'm going to do about my kids. I love them. But man, all I do is give give and give and give and give and give and never get anything back. My response will be, Welcome to the labor of love. Because the love of God doesn't look for anything in return. It just gives. So make your main vocation. You can make your main vocation displaying the love of God. That is true. But in this text, Your main vocation is to live a life of faith in Christ. That's one of those markers we must have. Walk in faith, walk in faith, walk in faith. Toil in love. And live patiently in hope. Now you might say, we live this whole life patiently waiting for the coming of Christ. That's true. And that is in this as a picture. But even more than that, as we deal one with another, work the work of faith, labor of love, and operating in patience, that's established in hope the hope of Christ. How many of us have had people in our lives who have struggled and ran and stumbled through life and we patiently have loved them, patiently have prayed for them. And now today, we look back. I have people in my past where I'd say, there's no way God can save them that today are brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it's not just living this life patiently, enduring and persevering until Christ comes, but it's that outworking in this horizontal world we live in between me and Micah that even though Micah keeps messing up and messing up, And messing up. I keep correcting and praying and operating in the patience of hope that God can do a work in his life. By the way, he doesn't mess up and mess up and mess up. He just messes up. He goes on saying, No, beloved brethren, your election by God, that you are, we're confident you are the elect of God. He says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only. Listen, as we live our life, it's not just about being able to speak the word. I know a lot of people who can speak the word. You know Penn and Teller, right? Yeah. Penn, a devout atheist, used to sit briefly, and we're gonna run out of time. <laughs> um used to sit in the Starbucks in Las Vegas, I frequented. And he would sit there with his MacBook and over the apple. On the lid or on the top, he had a sticker that said, God, with a red circle and a line through it. The universal sign of, I don't believe in God. And while meaning Christians would go to him and try and minister to him, and he would respond, Hey, can I ask you a question? Micah's getting picked on. (laughs) Can I ask you a question? How many times have you read through the Bible? If you're a good Christian, you can answer at least, oh, I've read through the Bible completely once. Some, two, three Unfortunately, the majority of Christians would say, not at all. And Penn would say, I've read through the Bible 11 times, searching for truth, and I'm telling you, it's not true. There is no God. If you've read through the Bible 11 times, You can speak the word. But it's not about just coming in word. It's coming in power. It's coming in the Holy Spirit. It's coming believing in the gospel that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. And one of the markers is not just to accept knowing the word, but experiencing the word of God in our life, such that we embrace the truth of the gospel message, and it becomes the power of God unto salvation in our lives. And then empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can be used to, to share that word such that it becomes the power of God unto salvation in other people's lives. That's what it's all about. And we came to you in the Holy Spirit and much assurance of the truth that we brought to you. And you all know what manner of men we were among you such that you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Go back and read what happened in Thessalonica. Jason surely experienced affliction, but with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe here's another benchmark that we can grab. Catch what Paul just said. Look beyond the words on the page and have a deeper understanding. Paul, Silas, and Timothy rolled in the Thessalonica and brought the gospel that they were not ashamed of, empowered by the Holy Spirit, An assurance, a confidence that the gospel was true, shared that gospel in Thessalonica. The result was people responded to the gospel, saw the testimony of Paul's life, began to follow the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy, and looked to the Lord. And the outworking of that in their lives is it just wasn't enough to see it and experience. They couldn't keep their mouth shut. So it went from Paul to them seeing it in Paul, responding and following the Lord, and then becoming examples themselves of what it means to be a follower In the Lord. Is that the desire of your heart? Paul wrote to Timothy at one point. He said, Take what I delivered to you, Timothy, and give that to faithful men who will also entrust it to faithful men. Five different generations, you say, no, only four, no, five. Paul met Jesus, and for three years, Jesus poured into him at HSU, Holy Spirit University. <laughs> Paul took that, gave it to Timothy, challenged Timothy to give it to others who would give it to others. He modeled it right here in Thessalonica, and the outworking of it is they became trumpeters. When it says sounded forth, they became trumpeters. They heralded the word of God and the testimony of faith such that Macedonia, Achaia, and everywhere that Paul and Timothy and Silas, was going, they were going, the testimony of the Thessalonians was beating them there. And the testimony of the work that God did through Paul, Silas, and Timothy was beating them there such that they didn't have to say anything. I wonder what that looked like. I have in my mind's eye they roll into another city. Hey, I'm Paul. Are you that Paul? Yeah. How must I, what must I do to be saved? Tell me, because I've heard all about what happened in Thessalonica. I mean, what an astounding testimony of the work of God, amen? I have to wrap up. Unfortunately, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry, how we live, what we said, the ministry we were able to do, we had to you, and how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Write in your Bible, if you wouldn't look it up later, Acts 26, verses 17 and 18, right next to verse 9. Because that really is what we've been called to do as witnesses for the Lord, to be used to turn people from false worship to worship of the living and true God. And not just that, but rest your hope upon the second advent, the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who delivered us from the wrath to come. We're going to go to the communion table. Worship team, come up. Ushers, come forward. But this table that was set by Christ is the table that we come to in remembrance of the work that Christ did. And the work that Christ did was to take upon himself the punishment and the wrath that was due us for our sins, taking that upon himself and ushering in forgiveness such that we need not fear now the wrath to come. Consider what Paul says in this opening chapter of Thessalonians. So many markers laid forth to keep our view, our life oriented in the right direction, established by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Amen.